3: David, Bruce Levine. Uh, I wonder. Bruce, uh, sideways. I love it. I love yeah, it. Upside
0: down Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. Sunday mornings on The Score.
4: Bruce Levine sometimes is sideways, but only in a cyber sense. He's always straight up and down in our world and joins us right now on the Alphamonte Ford Hotline, Alphamonte Ford is in Melrose Park. Bruce, the host of Inside the Clubhouse, yesterday without me for hopefully the last time all year long. Bruce, looking forward to being back with you next Saturday and beyond. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. Let the
3: ball busting begin. <laughs> Not, necessary. <laughs> Not necessary. Not necessary. It seemed like Ross already, kind of... You already started. You, first, you <laughs> threw the first shot. Well, Come you on. know, Ross
4: is the one who called you sideways. But I, I like when you're... No, committed. no, you're the one that
3: put it on the air.
4: Uh, well, yeah, the, the Lord invented producers for a reason. I, uh, I, I hold no accountability whatsoever. Uh, no, um, Sean um, said
3: you held a gun to his head, so <laughs> uh, that, that's just the news I'm reporting. But anyways, uh, as we segue back into the Cubs and Sox, where would you like to start? Let's start with the Sox uh, right now
4: um, because they've got to figure out what to do next time Carlos Rodon's spot comes up in the rotation. Do you think they'll go... With a bullpen game again, and just hope it goes better. Or what are some of the other options that might realistically be looked at?
3: Well, Detweiler should be the best choice. Uh, you know, he's been outstanding in the bullpen. Uh, they used him quite a bit. He's has been used six times already, and every every outing has been a good one and an important one uh, later in the ball game to kind kind of get the the game toward uh, Bummer and uh, Colomay at the end. Now, without Bummer there, they probably will hesitate to uh, take the lefty out of that role. So, um, you know, it's it's a tough situation because some of the young pitchers they have in the mi- minor leagues over in Schaumburg really not ready for this challenge as we uh, saw yesterday. So, uh, again, you know, bullpen days, you know, when, when when teams say bullpen games, bullpen days, they're usually putting an L up uh, next to their name. You know, when you go against... Uh, a guy like uh, Plisek, and you're mm. throwing a bullpen game. Uh, you're you're kind of just forfeiting the game.
4: Yeah, you know, it, it, that's the thing. Are are the White Sox managing this season with the ur- ur- urgency that they ought to be? Um, There's a lot of fans who don't think that's the case. That feel disappointed with some of uh, that lack of urgency. That's ah uh, very subjective, but. I mean, what do you think in terms of what Rick Renteria is doing? Well, you lost 40
3: percent of your you lost 40 percent of your rotation, right? You know, so Lopez and Rodon's down. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't know how many people can absorb that. You know, if you lose, if you're the Cubs and you lose Hendricks and Mills, who's next? Okay, uh, I mean, it's not it's not viable. Most teams don't have that kind of depth where you can go six, seven, eight deep uh, and have a viable major league pitcher. Throw five innings and keep you in a ball game. That that's just the, the nature of the game right now. And uh, the White Sox are trying to win, of course they are. Uh, but you can't you can't create uh, new pitchers that are are fine for that role and can do it uh, just out of thin air. You know you lose forty percent there. You lost uh, you lost some other depth with uh, you know losing a young pitcher. Uh, your your injury list is high. You lost mm-hmm. your second baseman and shortstop for an extended period of time. So not to make any excuses for the White Sox, but they've had as many injuries and important injuries to deal with as anyone. And I think the loss of Bummer here, depending on how long he's out, is extremely uh, most essential to uh, them being able to compete.
4: Yeah, that's their most important guy in that bullpen. And he's been absolutely terrific. And without him, I, I suspect they'll lean on Detweiler for that that kind of role. So if if we if we look at them the next time this comes up, you think we're seeing another bullpen game or would they, would they go out and look at a trade this, this early in the process to look at some of those free agents to be on some non-competitive teams, maybe.
3: All right. So Matt, so you touched on whether or not, uh, you're going to mortgage some of your future for a 60 game season. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that is essentially what you're talking about and what the fans are concerned about. Are they trying to win at all costs? I don't think that, um, Any team, and we'll see if this turns out to be true or not by the trading deadline, is going to mortgage uh, important players for the future to win the tournament of 2020. I don't think it's worthwhile. I think you owe it to yourself and your players and your fan base to try to win this year. But um, is this really that important as far as... uh, you know, winning this year and hmm. setting yourself up as a championship-caliber team for the future. In other words, whatever team wins the World Series this year, is that an indication that they're the best team going forward in 2021? And my my quick answer to that, after thinking out for about eight seconds, is no. Uh, that 2020 counts for the competition in this tournament and nothing more. Well, here here's another concern that I understand from a
4: business perspective, but I don't think any fan wants to entertain, which is that it's just not as beneficial financially and in terms of buzz, in terms of attraction and like tangibly to have a deep playoff run and a World Series run when there's no fans in the place. It's just, it's, it's so weird. It's like, it's just not as there's a lot of reasons to not go for it and mortgage your future. And some of them are status, like you're talking about and kind of the reputation and the feel of whether your team is good enough. And some of them are genuinely tangible. And I don't think fans want to understand that, but they might have to.
3: Well, you know, think of this. If, if major league baseball is able to get through the, the uh, world series this year in late October, there's, there's some really positive things. And if you're a fan, or a media person, or somebody that uh, makes their living around Major League Baseball, it's really important for you, the fan, you, the media person, you, the person that works around the ballpark, that Major League Baseball is able to uh, finish this season because of the revenue stream and the fact that going toward the future, uh, they have the money to sign the free agents, to continue to be uh, a viable team, uh, to not have to fire... 20 to 30% of their front office, to, to not have to fire their scouts, to not have to fire uh, player development people because you don't have the money and the resources. So there's a good reason to cheer mm-hmm. for the players and the owners to complete the season from a revenue stream if you're a baseball fan as well for the good of the game going forward.
4: Well, they're going to find a way. It seems the owners and Rob Manford are fine, are gonna committed to finding a way, and I, I totally get it, and I'm completely and utterly enjoying it. As awkward as it is, as weird as it is, I'm enjoying it. Are we looking at an inevitability of teams playing less than 60 games and dealing with winning percentage, and how low might baseball be willing to go? Like if a team plays 47 games or 45 games, is that is that okay as long as we get to a postseason?
3: Yeah, it's it's a great unknown and it's a very good question, Matt, because uh, I don't see how by September the 27th, the St. Louis Cardinals are going to play another fifty five games. Okay, that's the charge right now. So we're sitting here on August 9th. Right. Yeah. And uh, within this framework, they're going to have to play fifty five games between now and September 27th. Do the math. And you're you're seeing like double headers coming out of everywhere. And, and if they have to play doubleheaders, even if there's seven innings, uh, which is a, a little bit of a relief, uh, what, where is the competitive balance for the Cardinals uh, having to go through the 10-10 uh, uh, death watch, you know, when uh, you're, you're marching toward September 27th, having to make up all those games. So I guess we're going to have to pre- uh, accept some percentages um, as being the determining factor rather than uh, total wins.
4: Yeah, I think I think we're going to have to, and um, and it's just it's going to be the awkward price of doing business in in a year like this. Uh, what what can the Cubs do to try and avoid the rash of pitching injuries that have beset the rest of the league? Oftentimes, it seems due to stoppages and restarting and and not having control of the schedule and the routine. What can the Cubs do during this weekend, Bruce?
3: Well, uh, David Ross is going to talk to uh, the media later on this afternoon. They, they have a five-inning uh, sim game today at Wrigley Field starting at noon. After that, Ross is going to talk to us about resetting his uh, rotation. And that's uh, that's directly kind of going toward what you asked about keeping that rotation healthy and how do you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, too much time off for a John Lester, or too much time off for a... Um, Kyle Hendricks, it's not necessarily a very good thing. Uh, you know, you, you you try to reload and get yourself back up to the five-day routine. Everybody likes the sixth day, but nobody likes the eighth and ninth day of not pitching. So it, it's going to be a tricky business for the Cubs uh, to reset that rotation, and we'll see how Ross uh, wants to set it later on today.
4: Yeah. It, it, any any gut feeling on that as far as those decisions are going to go, Biz?
3: No, uh, I mean, you know, Lester was first man up. You know, maybe he'll just go that way, but it does give him a chance to reset his um, rotation as far as uh, the competition goes uh, this coming week. So, if you want to match up uh, the best you can, and uh, you're going to uh, you're starting with Cleveland, is that right? So, um, mm-hmm. in Detroit rather? No,
4: it, it, no. It, it's Cleveland. No. Yeah, you're on it. Cleveland. It's Cleveland. Yeah, the so White it's so what they in Detroit. Yeah, so, so that's why Ross and everybody will be sitting around uh, watching the You want to match S- up against,
3: uh, the, you want to match up against that fine pitching staff. And we've seen those arms for the last two years come, you know, mature and that that's a very good one of the best young pitching staffs in baseball right now as we've seen. So uh, it depends how he wants to set that up. I I do not have a feel for it. You know, other than uh, knowing that you know some of these guys will have not pitched for. Uh, six, seven, and eight days, depending on how he lends it up.
4: Uh, You spoke to Sean Marshall yesterday on Inside the Clubhouse. His feeling on Craig Kimbrell, for anyone who missed it, is that it's mechanical and confidence-based. It's a a mix of both of those. Is that a fair representation of what he told you guys yesterday? Yeah, I mean, look, uh,
3: you know, we all watch the game intently, and uh, we know that the breaking ball uh, that he's – not throwing for a strike or make, maybe even making him appear to look like a, a hittable pitch is not, not functioning for him right now. So we see the 97, it's still there. Uh, the location of the 97 isn't always there. So what is who is Craig Kimbrell at his best? He's a guy that makes the slider look hittable, that's out of the zone. He makes the four seamer look hittable, and it's out of the zone. And before you know it, He's thrown 15 pitches and he's out of an inning, or 17 pitches and he's out of an inning. That Craig, Craig Kimball we have not seen over the last two years. If we've seen it, we saw it for brief periods of time last year and not at all this year. So again, the physical part we can see, uh, the breaking ball doesn't have the depth that it had before. And uh, the, the part we can't see is between his ears, which is the confidence factor which is way down there. I mean, you know, what, what could be worse, Matt, than Kimbrell coming in in a blowout game and mm. not getting the job done? I mean, that, that, you know, we know closers do not do well mentally in games that don't mean anything, but now uh, he's regu- regulated to um, going into a blowout game just to get some work done and, and work on his pitches, and that didn't look good uh, the last time out on Thursday.
4: Yeah, we could play this game. What was the worst blow to Craig Kimbrell's confidence this week? Is is it that, or is it getting put out there in a save situation and then having the manager come and get him before the save situation was done and the game was decided? That took some stones from David Ross that night, and I I I appreciate that.
3: So do I. I think every Cub fan and baseball fan appreciates that He put winning above getting the guy straightened out and getting him to feel better about himself. But in reality, Cubs don't win without Craig Kimbrell being effective at the end. Uh, You you have to pinpoint those other relief pitchers that can go into that role and say, who can go in there and dominate uh, the rest of the year to make sure that uh, the well-pitched games by the Cubs starters and the middle relievers – stays a victory at the end, and uh, that that is very difficult to identify at this point.
4: Thank you very much, Bruce. Talk to you next week.
3: All right. Have a you great day. Thanks, you,
4: man. You, you too. It's Bruce Levine, the Scores Baseball Insider. Look, um, we're going to get back to Kimbrel in a couple of minutes here because I've got some very specific stuff I want to talk about, but here's the thing about Ross, about David Ross. I knew the energy and the focus that he would bring, the constant mindfulness you see as they grind every pitch, every at-bat, as this offense functions as it has, as defensively they have risen above what at times looked like complacency last year. I I knew that that was coming and told anybody who would listen, and even if you didn't, you know I've talked about this with you for more than a year, knowing that this move was coming. And, and, And so I knew that that was coming and we've seen it. What I didn't know for sure was what kind of comfort he would have with the discomfort of honesty with some of his guys. And that would be phrased in a number of different ways. Some people would say, well, I just don't know if Ross is going to be comfortable managing his friends, or I don't know if Ross is going to be comfortable being the bad guy or whatever. Will he be comfortable with the discomfort of honesty? Look at how he's handled Craig Kimbrell. When he went out to get him, In a save situation that Kimbrel could not finish, that look on Kimbrel's face, the embarrassment, the forced humility, and he had to stand there in the dugout and watch Kyle Ryan hang on and get it done. It takes stones to deal with your guy like that and navigate the public part of it because sometimes publicly you might sound foolish. Sean, remember last week we played the thing, um, is Craig still the closer? Uh... You might sound foolish publicly in that moment. Take stones to deal with the guy in the proper, honest, direct way and have Kimbrell deal with his public humiliation. He has shown that. Ross has shown that. And I know that some people were not sure whether he'd have that. He is um, very clearly the right guy um, for this moment and for this team. And I don't know, if Kimberl never figures it out this year, you could win without him. Rowan Wick as your closer, Jeremy Jeffress and somebody else as your setup guys. You could find a way to do it without him if you must. Rather see them make the playoffs and be viable without him than make the playoffs and be a disaster waiting to happen with him.
2: As far as if Craig's the closer. Um...
4: Yeah, Exactly. Gotta navigate that publicly, and you might look a little silly for a day while you do the right thing privately, and that's clearly what's gone on. Let's talk about Kimbrell. Um, we'll hear some of the specifics that people are saying about him, but I'm also gonna go back to my obsession and point to a very similar closer at a similar age who has evolved while Craig has not. That is next on It and Run right here on 670 the score.
0: and the 2-2 from Kimbrell. Fly ball deep right field in the corner. That ball is going to be off the wall. Racing to third is Perez on a double by Mondesi.
2: As far as if Craig's the closer. Um.
4: 6 the score is where you are. Matt Spiegel is who you're with on Hit and Run. Cubs in an awkward pause as they wait. To play the Cardinals shut down that series postponed in David Ross's words he's sitting around with the on the couch with the dog watching baseball join the club buddy White Sox tonight on Sunday Night Baseball on Espen White Sox and Cleveland Indians boy Cleveland can pitch awfully well and then it's the Cubs and Indians after that last week on the show we talked with Ron Coomer about Craig Kimbrell And Coomer was the first one I heard in our game to comment specifically on this mechanical issue with Craig Kimbrell.
0: For me, I think he's having a very difficult time once the game gets started and the juices get going of getting on top of the baseball. His arm slot, I watched him and Zach and I and Mm -hmm. Pat were sitting in the booth for a long time during the rain delay. He He was on top of the baseball. We had a camera shot of the Cubs' bullpen and he was on top of the baseball with an arm slot up higher, throwing his bullpen in Cincy during the rain delay. And I mm-hmm. think when he gets into the game, that arm slot comes down a little bit, and his pitches stay flatter, and it's, it's just much easier for the hitters to hit as opposed to getting a little more downhill with the fastball and breaking ball. And I'm mm-hmm. telling you, it sounds like a very easy fix. It is not. The adrenaline rush, and David talks about being rotational, The adrenaline rush, you feel like you're doing it, but it's not happening. From your eyesight, you see it's not happening, but he feels like it does. It's a tough fix, but if he can get on top more and get more downhill with that heater, you're still throwing 97. I mean, he, he threw some blazing heaters the other day.
4: That's Ron Coomer talking about the mechanical issue for Craig Kimbrell, which he believes is the arm slot, that he gets into the game and the moment gets to be a lot for him and he lowers the arm slot. It comes out different. Tommy Hadovy actually spoke about it a couple days later and gave you legit insight in the same way that Coomer is talking about. And I don't know whether Ron saw it first or heard glimpses or little bits from what Tommy had of to me, but they're, they're on it. Okay. And then Sean Marshall on Marquee the other day, pregame, broke it down and added his voice to the Craig Kimbrell mechanical conversation. Here's Sean Marshall, who um, was also on Inside the Clubhouse yesterday and talked about the, the confidence level of Kimbrell and, and the mindset as well. But this is it from Marquis talking about the mechanics specifically.
1: Consistency and mechanics have been key. Okay. And when you're when you're inconsistent and you're falling off and, and your body control isn't there, it really affects release point. Here in 2018 compared to 2020, Craig Kimbrell, say he falls off to the first base side. When you're throwing in a rotational pattern, it's very hard to execute your pitches over and over. In 2018, we flashback right there to Judge and Stanton. The, the, the high-velocity fastball with finish But here, 2020, he's falling off. See that back leg just kind of flying around? I mean, it's pitching in a rotation. And pitching's all about pitching with great direction. And when you're spinning off, it's very hard to execute those pitches. It changes the release point over and over. But we see in 2018, he was about four inches higher. 2020, we've seen four inches lower. And what happens there is the ball flattens out. The curveball gets more sweepy, more horizontal and flat. And he's having a hard time executing it for strikes. And when you throw two pitches anyways and you can't throw one of for a strike. The hitters are going to sit dead red on the fastball, but the biggest enemy for Craig Kimbrell is going to be himself. He's got to compete against a hitter and not against himself, but last night, flashes of brilliance against Cordero. This curveball started to sweep. He's throwing it for strikes, establishing that he can throw it for strikes, and that makes the fastball with the 97 and the plus finish that much better when you can throw your curveball for strikes. If he's able to do that and start to find that release point and create better direction towards home plate, simplify it a little bit more how to be talked about it in the in the pregame interview just iron it out repeatable delivery of a fundamentally sound mechanical delivery will help his release point and he'll be able to repeat those pitches be able to find that exact release point where he needs to throw that get me over breaking ball for a strike and that exact release point where he needs to throw that put away back footer to the lefty sweeping from the righty like we saw with judge and Stanton right there that it's going to be so important for him to be able to throw strikes with both of his pitches and and command the fastball. And if you're pitching in a spin and your arm is lower, your stuff is going to be flatter.
4: That is good stuff from Sean Marshall the other day on Marquee. And it dovetails with what Coombe said last week. Here's the deal. When that release point gets too low, the four-seamer doesn't move like it needs to. It doesn't have the carry the ride that Ross calls it, the absence of drop, it doesn't look like it's rising in the same way that it has before in Kimbrough's life. And you know what? 97 with no ride is is not gonna cut it. 99 with ride, then you're hall of fame. 97 with ride, you're gonna be just fine, probably. 97 with no ride, where it's really flattened out, and you're throwing it down in the zone, not going to cut it. The four-seamer is no longer special in terms of the spin. The StatCast numbers came out the other day. Kimbrel has the fourth best four-seamer on the team this year behind Rowan Wick, Darvish, and Chatwood. He's 137th in 2020. 137th so far. And when it doesn't have that ride like it does historically, then it doesn't look like the curveball. And especially when the arm slot is all screwed up, the pitches don't look alike, the spins don't match in the tunnel, they don't they don't make hitters think it could be either one and you don't get guys swinging at one when they think it's the other. He's got to be perfect with two pitches. Got to be absolutely perfect. And when he's not, he's going to get lit up. So that's why he needs to evolve and add the changeup. He needs to add the pitch that he's had for 11 years, that his general manager says he should add, that his manager would love to see him try, that Kimbrel himself said in spring training to Electric Boogaloo that he would like to use more, that he thinks he should. He hasn't used it yet this year. I understand it's nerve wracking to use it, but you gotta evolve and change. Pitchers all over the league have added pitches. Eno Saris at The Athletic did a piece the other day, about seven or eight different pitchers that have added pitches this year. Shane Bieber added a cutter, a cut fastball. Look at Shane Bieber right now. Chris Paddock in San Diego added a cutter. They're almost all starting pitchers. Tyler Maley of the Reds added a slicer. Added a slider. Excuse me. Do you want a closer? Do you want a closer? There's one in the article. You ready? It's hitting run right here on 670, the score. Matt Spiegel is who you're listening to. Here's a closer who has struggled in recent years, but was on a Hall of Fame track. Who is trying to figure it out at age 32. Just like Craig Kimbrell. It is Kenley Jansen of the Dodgers. He used to throw nothing but cut fastballs, like Mariano Rivera. Nothing but cutters. A couple years ago we started adding in the sinker a little bit. And now, brand new for 2020, Kenley Jansen has added a slider. Brand new. He throws it slow at like 83 miles an hour, so you could call it a curve. Sometimes PitchFX calls it a curve. Eno did the homework, it's a slider. And Kenley says he learned it from the guys around the Dodgers, who he says it would be a shame to not listen to and learn from. Rick Honeycutt, Oral Hershiser, the rest of that Dodgers pitching infrastructure. Kenley Jansen is not afraid to evolve, has the humility to say, I need to change my game to adapt at this point in what has been a tremendous career. Kenley has adapted. His whip is down. His fielder independent pitching is down. He's four for five in saves. He's 32 years old. He's ready to take on this portion of his career and move forward as a more developed guy. No longer a one-pitch guy like he was because it's not good enough. No longer even a two-pitch guy that he's been the last couple years. Now he's added the slider. Come on, Craig. Tough to do right now in the middle of a 60-game season, so maybe it won't happen. But if it doesn't happen this year and he cannot find the perfection back on the four-seamer and the knuckle curve like he has, then it needs to happen this offseason or next spring. This is why I, I've been obsessed with the changeup and Greg Kimbrell. Because you must evolve. You must adapt. You lose juice as a closer. Adapt. I hope he can. Phone lines are open at 312-644-6767. That's the phone number. You can text in the very same number if you want. Cub fans, Sox fans, let's talk about your concerns for your team. Top of the hour, a great idea from Paul Sullivan of the Tribune. Deserves some time. We will give it that at the top of the hour right here on Hit and Run. We'll come back and I'll tell you a modern-day instant gratification pitching success story about a reliever in town. And we'll take your phone calls on Cubs, Sox, MLB reschedules, the battle with COVID, and more. Right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score.
5: A lot of video being preserved for forever. And we got a new pitcher coming in the ball game. Historic moment for Zach Birdie, one that nobody in the family, not
2: him, not his folks, not his brothers will ever forget. There's got to be a Downers Grove South watch party going on right now. A lot of happy Mustangs out there. as Zach Birdie gets a major league hill for the very first time, and he will face the Cleveland Indians here in the sixth. Two and two coming. Check swing. He went strike three. Zach Birdie's first strikeout is out number two in the inning.
4: <laughs> Zach Birdie looked great yesterday. Birdie throwing 99, which is appreciably harder than he was, uh, like six weeks ago. Crazy. So Birdie comes up. Brady Lale goes down for the White Sox. There has been, um, a lot of churn and burn in that bullpen. Burn like Drew Anderson did yesterday. Churn like Aaron Bummer going on the DL. Like, uh, like Jimmy Lambert going on the I.L. It's no longer D.L. Spiegel. It's an I.L. But here came Zach Birdie to make his debut. His, the seventh different debut for the White Sox this year in 2020. It's pretty exciting to have that many in this ridiculously short amount of days so far. Even if some of them have not stuck. As you mean Mercedes is back down, etc. But here's Zach Birdie. Might he stay we can figure that out. But why did he look so good? What happened with the changes to Zach Birdie? Where did he get this idea from to make some of the changes that he has? I would like to know. And so that's why he was asked about it yesterday in the post game. Here's Zach Birdie on the changes that he has made mechanically in very, very recent weeks.
5: Not long um, is a short answer. Uh, it's about, been about probably a month and a half since I made those mechanical changes. Um, not, I mean, not sugar, like literally just was on Twitter one day, saw a guy explaining how he threw and it was very similar to how I threw and how I, uh, my mechanical problems and I took it and I used it and um, uh, I brought it to coaches that I was working with at the time. We figured out the correct sequencing and um, from there it kind of, it wasn't a huge gap um, it seemed more so like um, I'd forgotten to do it for the last three years and whatever that video had and whatever the reason was um, kind of brought everything back together and I was able to kind of feel myself riding down the mound again and um, the way my arm was working three years ago was all coming back so it hasn't been long but it's definitely been um, nice to be back in, in that sink and that swing of things. Zach, do you remember the video you were watching that helped you? And Was it something you searched out or you were just messing around on YouTube one day and found it? No, um, it was on Twitter. It was a video that um, my buddy's dad, who uh, coaches us or coached us in travel baseball, he just retweets a bunch of stuff um, to the kids that he coaches now. And um, I came by it and it was a simple, all the kid thought about was load and drop your hips and I don't know why, I don't know what that um, did for me, but it did something for me, and it uh, definitely um, has did a huge 180 in the confidence and the way that um, I'm approaching the game day in and day out.
4: That's crazy, man. This is the kind of instant gratification, modern millennial pitching wisdom that is available. (laughs) It's just... And how it might find you. You never know how it might find you. How many stories have we had in recent years of people going to like Pitching Ninja on the Twitters and saying, hey, could you help me with the grip of this thing? I saw it. I forget who it was. I just saw one of those last week. That somebody went to Pitching Ninja for some help on the grip. Here's Zach Birdie, graduate of Downers Grove South, former number one round pick a first round pick in 2016 zach birdie just kind of moving along in his career not with the big club here uh at 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 summer camp not getting ready to break camp at summer camp and following his buddy's father who coached them in travel ball on twitter and he sees a retweet and says oh yeah that looks good yeah i should do that i should do that again And now here he is throwing 99 six weeks later in his big league debut. It's just crazy, man. This is the world we live in. You never know where the wisdom is going to be found. You never know what source is actually going to have something that's viable. The world has shrunk. You know, this is the way it's been going for a while. Do you remember... I think it was like 10, 12 years ago, when all of a sudden a whole bunch of people from baseball prospectus started getting hired at big league organizations. And that line became so incredibly blurred. Hey, this guy seems to know what he's talking about. Let's bring him in. Yeah, let's go ahead and hire him. And this is what we have. This is the world we live in. Where the, the new director of hitting for the entire Cubs organization has been a private hitting coach, Justin Stone, that you bring in guys from driveline, you bring in guys from private academies because they might be doing it better than you. And as everybody shares everything pretty much these days, things have become much less pro- pro- uh, proprietary especially if you're trying to make a name for yourself and you think you know something, you'll throw it out there. And a guy like Zach Birdie might be hipped to it through a third party and figure it out and improve a big league club on a Saturday in August while you're watching from your couch. Outrageous. So is Zach Birdie going to be a big part of things from here on out. I mean, your moment is right now, Zach Birdie. You're going to look that good. You're going to look that good at a moment when the injuries have mounted, when there's no Aaron Bummer, when the best guy in that White Sox bullpen, active and currently going right now, is Evan Marshall. Look, it's a weird thing with Alex Colomay. He's a good closer, very solid closer. But he's not the best guy in that bullpen. It reminds me of when Wade Davis was setting up Greg Holland in Kansas City. And Holland was your lockdown ninth inning guy. But you got troubles? Get me Wade Davis. That's the way it's been in the White Sox bullpen with Aaron Bummer. And now with Bummer gone, I think that role principally falls to Evan Marshall with Ross Detweiler getting the the most difficult left-handed spots, at least for now. We'll see how it goes. Zach Birdie with a big opportunity right now. Congrats to him for getting to the bigs and good for him for finding inspiration and help wherever it may be. 312-644-6767. Texture says, go ahead and fire Don Cooper. Hire Zach Birdie's buddy's father's Twitter account as pitching <laughs> as coach. That's too simplistic, sir. Speaking of simplistic... Here's a problem that's gone on for way too long in baseball. Scouts and others have compared ball players to other baseball players. That's not how you should do it. Me and Jason Bonetti have our own plans, and we do something called good comp, bad comp, where we take a ball player of note and we find a comparison that fits them perfectly in the world of pop culture or history or anything. And we got back to it this week with the great Albert Pujols. So good for the first part of his career. And then so eh, for this last incredibly highly paid part of his career with the Los Angeles Angels. Here's Jason Benetti and I from the other day with our latest good comp, bad comp for Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols is almost exactly like Dexter. I will put the first four seasons of Showtime's Dexter up against any episodic TV show ever. Michael C. Hall's narrated depiction of a serial killer somehow trying to genuinely do good in the world is compelling, it's vicious, it's scary, and yet you could not look away. I will put the first 10 years of St. Louis Cardinals, Albert Pujols' career up against absolutely anyone. Nine times in the top five for MVP. He won three of them and a rookie of the year. His tenure in St. Louis was compelling. It was vicious. It was scary for Cubs fans. And yet you could not look away. Dexter then continued for exactly the same length as its peak, another four seasons, and was a shell of itself. Still good for a while but somewhat sadly in the background, probably the third best show on its own network behind Homeland and Shameless. Poole's career has continued for exactly the same length as his peak. 10 more seasons with the Angels, and he's kind of a shell of himself. Still good for a while, 30 homers three times, 100 RBIs four times, but he's somewhat sadly in the background, probably the third best player on his own team behind Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Despite that extended period of mediocrity, Dexter is still remembered as one of the best of its kind. Ranker.com has Dexter as the best TV show ever about serial killers. Television is now flooded with super dark series, but Dexter's place towards the top of the list is secure. Despite an extended period nearing mediocrity, Puholtz will still be remembered as one of the best of his kind. Along with Mays, Aaron, and who? Hornsby, Manny, Ramirez. He is one of the best right-handed hitters of all time. And as MLB is flooded with super powerful sluggers, Albert's place towards the top of the list is secure.
2: The performance art is truly (laughs) remarkable. Talking about Dexter with a plant behind you. That makes it look like a dentist's office. I'm going to stay in television series, and you've given all the numbers, so I'm just going to outline my case very quickly, which I rarely do. If you were a child of the 2000s, you knew and grew up with Albert Pujols as a baseball fan. If you were a child of the 1990s, you knew and grew up with the Winslow family here in Chicago of Family Matters. Albert Pujols originally was a shortstop. When he was in junior college, he played shortstop and played shortstop as a kid. Family Matters was a spin-off. Harriet started as the elevator operator on Perfect Strangers, and Carl actually showed up on an episode as well coming to uh, Balky and Larry's apartment. In Albert Pujols' first Juco game, he hit a grand slam and had an unassisted triple play. Family Matters, right out of the gate, did very well for itself, but... But midway through season number one, Steve Urkel joined up. And Albert Pujols didn't have his first home run as a Cardinal until the home opener of his first season, seven games in. But then everything turned south. Albert went to the Angels with that big contract. And in season nine, CBS paid $40 million for the rights. (laughs) To Step by Step and Family Matters from TGIF. And Family Matters lasted one more not good season at all. And in fact, in the middle of that ninth season, sort of like Albert Poules' tenure with the Angels, there are some bright spots. Some of the characters, you still know them and you love them. The mom got bounced from the show. Joe Marie Payton opted out. And Judy Ann Elder came in, and nobody said anything. <laughs> We're watching Albert Pujols, and we remember him from the Cardinals. And people want to be like, "No, no, no! Don't say it! Don't!" Say it. He didn't. It's okay. He's still him. He's still. It's a different mom. <laughs> How can you do that? <laughs> Family matters. Albert Pujols important to their decade, but not in the end what we remember them as.
4: Oh, that's really
2: good. They I do is that?
4: Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's cruel that they changed the mom and didn't even tell you about it, didn't even deal with it. No, it was yeah. like, and it was the woman
2: who started the show as a spin off on Perfect Strangers. You can't eliminate the spin offerer. No, you can't. And what TV needs is
4: less opt outs, just yes. like baseball.
2: Yes. In, in the words of Balky Bartokamas, don't be ridiculous.
4: That is good comp, bad comp. We have so much fun with that, me and Jason Bonetti. And you can vote for who got it right. Who got it right? Was it me with Dexter? Yes. Or Jason with Perfect Strangers? His might have been funnier. It was, but mine was better. Betterer, is I believe the official uh, way to describe it. All right, one more hour to go on Hit and Run here on six seventy. The score. A great idea from the dean of the Baseball Writers Association, is coming up next. It, it affects both the Cubs and the Sox and this crazy-ass schedule world we live in. And also, one of my favorite ball players of all time returned to the big leagues last night. We'll talk about all those things next hour, and Chris Kempke will join us as well, right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score.